And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection. When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. God, I want to thank you today for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us that, and while we were still sinners, you came to this earth and you lived a perfect life and you died for us. And today, God, thank you for the opportunity not just to sing words with our mouth, but let those words grow up inside of us and become true and real. God, thank you for your church. And I 
pray today as you challenge our church that we will grow close to you. Let you convict our heart and make changes in our life so that we can be a glowing light for you. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. Well, I invite you today to take your Bible and open again with me to Mark chapter 12 as we move our way through this, this gospel. Um, whether, whether you are here today as a follower of Christ or not, uh, everyone knows what it's like to experience rejection. It's a part of life. It's a real part of every part of every aspect of our life. Rejection is defined as intentionally or unintentionally withholding love from others. So what does rejection look like? Well, it might look like uh, making sarcastic, sarcastic comments towards somebody. It might look like ignoring somebody or cutting off all conversation whatsoever, all relationship with someone whatsoever. It might even include trying to hurt someone. We all have been guilty of rejecting someone. And we've all been on the other side of that coin. We've all been rejected by other people. And so we're in common ground with Jesus this morning. No one ever lived who was more rejected than Jesus. Uh, my senior year in college, a church in this state issued me a call to serve on their staff, and I prayed about it, and I said, no, this is not what God wants for me. <laughs> a few days later, I received a letter from the chairman of that committee, a scathing letter telling me that I had made the biggest mistake of my life. They felt rejected. And with that letter, I felt rejected by them. But why do I still remember that? Well, I remember that because it hurt. Rejection hurts. Rejection leaves scars. It leaves pain in our life. For three years, um, Jesus had been leading his disciples on an incredible journey. And he was absolutely the perfect model for them in coming into relationship with God. Uh, the last week that he spent with them was no different from the other times that Jesus poured into his disciples and taught them. He was headed to the crucifixion. He was only two or three days away from going through the trial of rejection, the rejection of all rejections, and then going to the cross and dying for the sin of every person who has ever lived. And the enemies of Jesus turned against him with all their power. They pulled out every trick in the book to try to expose him as a false god. They totally rejected him. The followers of Jesus and even those who were the greatest enemies of Jesus both kind of joined in the same crowd and Almost without exception, they all turned their backs on him. They all rejected him. So Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 27, which you heard read a few minutes ago, 
reveals four truths about rejecting Jesus. And I want us to look at these truths today. And I want you to seriously consider with me what the impact of rejecting Jesus really feels like and really looks like and the cost that comes to rejecting Jesus. So Mark chapter 12, let's look at it beginning in verse 1. Rejecting Jesus is costly. Rejecting Jesus is costly. Now remember, Jesus is in the temple court. He has cleansed the temple. He's driven the money changers and those who would uh, have false use for the temple. He's driven them out of the temple. So he's still in the temple. And in verse 1, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A parable is a story illustration that demonstrates something familiar to help us understand something that is more complex. It compels listeners to deal with truth. And that's why Jesus shared this parable. In this parable, there are six things that stand out. Look at them with me. First of all, God planted the vineyard. He provided everything necessary for a healthy crop and harvest. In verse 1, he put a fence around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and he built a tower and leased it to tenants and went away into another country. So God is the vine dresser. He's the one who planted the vineyard. He provided everything that everyone needed in order to make the harvest successful. So Israel is the vineyard that God planted. He planted Israel in the world to be an example for him, for what it looks like to know God and walk with God, to be an example to all the nations. And the Jewish religious leaders are the tenant farmers. Verse 2 then reveals that God's prophets and priests are the servants. Look at verse 2. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them the same fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed, and him they killed. So they, so with many, and so with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. This is a this is a painful story. Because Jesus was expressing that God had made it possible for everyone to hear the gospel through His chosen people. And yet his chosen people turned against him, denied him, and turned down every opportunity they had to know and follow him. See, 700 years earlier, Isaiah had shared a similar story with this. The story starts out the same. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the story is that, that God planted a vineyard and everything falls into line with uh, the wine press being built and the tower being built and the fence being built around the, the vineyard. And yet in Isaiah's story, the Bible says that wild grapes sprung up rather than good grapes. Now when Jesus was telling this story, obviously the, 
the leaders of the religious day of Jesus understood where he was going with this story. Jesus was pronouncing judgment on Israel just as Isaiah had pronounced judgment on Israel 700 years. They had 700 years to correct the ship, to right the boat. And yet they continued to reject God's love for them. Jesus surely must have had this picture in mind as he shared this parable with these listeners. In verse 6, Jesus is the son. He had still another son, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him threw him out of the vineyard. So Jesus spoke this parable just a few days before he knew that it was going to be fulfilled. He was going to be killed. He was going to be crucified. He became the sacrifice for our sin and for the gospel to be opened up to all people. Just like the prophets of Israel. Jesus had a message for the religious leaders of his day if they would only listen. And yet they would not listen. And sadly, they rejected Jesus. And sadly, it cost them their relationship with God. It cost them an eternity in hell, separated from God. And the same is true for those who reject Jesus today. In verse 9, the vineyard was given to the Gentiles. That's all people. It was opened up to all people, not just Israel, but all people. Verse 9 says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And so there's a high cost to following Jesus. You know that, don't you? When Jesus looked at his disciples, he said, follow me. They left everything immediately and followed him. There's a high cost to follow Jesus, but there is a much higher cost to rejecting Jesus. I pray today as God's Spirit speaks into our heart about the challenge we have to faithfully stand up and be counted for Jesus in our sinful world. That we will not be in the crowd that rejects Jesus. We will be in the crowd that pays the price that is willing to count the cost and faithfully follow Jesus. If you are following Jesus today, it's because God planted His truth in you. And there's some of you here today that God wants to bring you to life. He wants to plant His truth in you if you will only listen to His gospel message. You can bear fruit like Israel could have born fruit today. You can sow seeds of the gospel if you will choose to truly sell out to Jesus and follow Him. You can faithfully nurture the gift that God has given you to build up the church so that the church can be the influence in the world that it needs to be. God doesn't put you in a church as a church member just to sit and listen. God has a job for every church member to do. 
He's given you a spiritual gift to use inside the church. He's given you a spiritual gift to build up the church so that the church can be effective in sharing the gospel in the kingdom. And you, as a believer, have a part to play in that. There's a call that's clearly coming to believers today to wake up, to put our spiritual gifts to work, and let our lives be counted to give glory and praise to God. At Palmetto Shores, we know what rejecting Jesus looks like. We know that it's costly to reject Jesus. And that's why we support ministry to the nations. Last week I shared in our service that we are a member of the Southern Baptist Convention for a specific reason. Listen to this. 92% of the missionaries that we support as Southern Baptists are in places in the world where Jesus has never been heard. The gospel's never been heard. 92% of the missionaries that we support by our international mission board are reaching unchurched people groups. That's groups of people who have never heard the gospel. And we're seeing first-time ever believers come to faith in Christ in these unreached people groups because we are faithfully sending missionaries to plant the gospel around the world. We're going to hard places where no one else is going. And we need to continue to support. You have a part in that. Either by giving to support the work in God's kingdom and in the vision, or maybe some of you, as I said last week, even hearing God's call to go and to be part of the missionary force that takes the gospel to the un unreached parts of the world. See, taking the gospel to the nations is costly, but not as costly as rejecting Jesus. Secondly, there's another truth about rejecting Jesus, and that is rejecting Jesus is convicting. We see that in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, the Bible says, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, Jesus is giving a direct quote here from Psalm 118, verses 22 to 24. Word for word, a direct quote. There's great value in knowing and accurately applying Scripture. And that's what Jesus does here. But in verse 12, he gets real personal. Look at it. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told them a parable against them. So they left him and went away. They perceived that he had told this parable against them, and their perception was right. They were convicted that the message that Jesus was sharing was against them. Some of you here today need to listen to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit who's calling you to put your faith in Jesus. Some of you today need to perceive the conviction that God is putting in your heart to sell out to Him, to make Him the priority in your life. Rejecting Jesus is convicting. They perceived that he had told the parable against them. See, this was the week of Passover. 
And you have to put yourself in that historical context to understand why Jesus would pull out this statement at this particular time. But Psalm 118 was the last song that was sung during the Passover celebration year after year after year. And the Passover celebration celebrated God rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus was saying to the religious leaders of his day and to the people of his day, he was saying, God wants to rescue you from slavery, from your sin. And that message is so true to you and me today. God wants to rescue you. And the method that he's used to rescue you is through putting a cornerstone available to stabilize your life. Jesus is that cornerstone. These leaders couldn't see that they had become slaves to their own sin, to their own religion, that they had self-made. And Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by his critics. He was also rejected by many who were followers of his. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I trust that's you today. I trust that you have believed in Jesus. And God has given you the right to believe and become a child of his. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the stabilizer to life. And believers are now living stones essential to God's new building. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, He is no longer rejected, but precious. He's no longer worthless, but critically important. Your identity today, your identity today can be in Christ Jesus. The word Christian has become so shallow in our world today. What God needs today is a believer who will stand up and truly be a follower of Jesus, who puts Jesus as the highest priority in life, trusting that he will hold you up through anything that you go through if you put your trust and put your faith in him. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Believers are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, as the cornerstone, Jesus wants to bring you to stability, to be part of his witness in this world today. There's no greater privilege in our world today than that. The critics of Jesus wanted a political king. That was never the intention of Jesus. He didn't fit their purpose, and so they rejected him. Big mistake. Big mistake. Don't make that same mistake today. These religious leaders in the day of Jesus were convicted that he had told the parable against them. Verse 12 says they were convicted. 
But unfortunately, their conviction did not lead to repentance. If God is convicting your heart today, His cry to you is that you will repent, that you will wake up, that you will turn away from your sin, whether it's being your own God and worshiping yourself or letting something else in your life be the Lord of your life, to turn away from your sin and turn to God. Turn to Him and put your trust and faith totally in Him. That's what repentance is. It means to turn around. It means to change your direction in life. Change from walking your way to walking God's way. And God gives you and me an opportunity to make that decision today to repent. You can repent and turn to Jesus right now. And commit in your heart, when you walk out of this door, you're going to make all of life about Jesus. There's a third truth to rejecting Jesus right out of this passage. And it comes in a conflictual conversation that Jesus had. Rejecting Jesus is senseless. It's senseless. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the creator of the world. He knows everything about this world. He knows everything about you. He created you. So it is senseless to reject him. In verse 13, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now the Pharisees obviously were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were only existent for 70 years. A few years before Jesus came onto the scene to a few years after he came on the scene. The Herodians were a part of the Jewish culture, Jewish people, who had bought into the system of humbling themselves to follow Herod and the Herodian dynasty. Herod was a popular ruler in Israel because he had begun to rebuild the temple. In fact, Herod's temple was the temple that Jesus looked at and that we're going to be looking at next week in a very particular way. Herod's temple was the most magnificent of all three of the temples that were ever constructed. Magnificent structure. And these Herodians had chosen to ally with the Roman government as Jewish citizens. What's the big deal with that? Well, taxes paid to Caesar went to maintain heathen temples, heathen temples, and luxurious lifestyles of the Roman upper class. Tax collectors charged whimsical fees, and they were hated by most Jewish leaders. But notice this, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, colluded with the Herodians, in dealing with Jesus, the philosophy was the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's kind of like, you know, some of you have favorite football teams that you pull for. You have other teams that you kind of hate. And anybody that's playing against that team that you hate becomes an ally with you. You start pulling for somebody that you usually hate. You know how that goes. Not mention any names, but I'm sure you can make the application there. Well, the Herodians and the Pharisees colluded together. They were enemies, and yet they colluded together and became friends against Jesus. 
Verse 14 says, They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now notice they're using flattery against Jesus. And flattery got critics of Jesus nowhere with him. They were the kind of people that cowered to peer pressure. This passage is filled with the Pharisees cowering to peer pressure. But Jesus cowered to no one. And that's why in verse 15, he said, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness is on the inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. It's senseless to try to use any means to trap Jesus. You know that, don't you? You can't argue with the truth of Jesus. Accept it, because it's the truth. Well, these leaders were trying to argue with Jesus. Romans chapter 13 explains that God created two institutions. He created the church and He created the state. And they have separate responsibilities. The responsibility of the church is to represent God and proclaim His Word in this world. The state is charged with protecting people. And so when the church and the state work together to honor God, great things can happen. But when the church and the state work together against God, disaster happens. Now, friends, if there's ever been a wake-up call to our generation today, we need to listen to this wake-up call. Would you agree that our country is a confused mess? So what's the solution? Well, let me give you at least two suggestions, two steps. Number one, pray. How many believers in Christ are truly praying, earnestly praying for God's will to be done in heaven and on earth? Have we reached the point where we're too apathetic or too comfortable in our lifestyle to pray for God's intervention in the chaotic mess that's going on in our world today. Not just our country. I mean, our country is in bad shape. But I'm talking about the whole world as well. So it starts with prayer. But prayer then must be followed up by godly involvement. I heard about this um, college professor at a secular university recently who challenged his class in government that if they could find in the United States Constitution separation of church and state, 
to bring it to him and show it to him, and they wouldn't even have to come to class or take any tests. They would automatically get an A for the class. It's not there. God instituted the church, and God instituted the state, and we're to work together to give glory and honor to him. And Jesus points that out very clearly when they produced the coin to him. Jesus didn't run away from religious or political challenges. In fact, he ran to them. He prayerfully and appropriately faced every challenge and left behind nothing but the truth. They were baffled at the authority and the truth in which Jesus spoke. And so when the Pharisees and the Herodians colluded to trap Jesus, Jesus didn't fall for their trap. He answered a question that they asked with a question. Why do you put me to the test? And then he went on to give the answer that many marveled at. So their effort to trap Jesus was senseless. Your effort to follow any other Lord of life other than Jesus is senseless today. Jesus exposed the evil in those who tried to trap him. And there's so much evil to be exposed in the world today, but make sure you do it with the right motive, bathe in prayer with the right purpose in mind, and that is to lift up and give glory to Jesus. Jesus never failed to pass every test. And that's why he drew serious questioners to the truth. John 8, 31 and 32 says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the same is true for followers of Jesus today. Today it's senseless to reject Jesus. His perfect, sinless life draws you to the truth like a magnet. And I pray that if you have never given your life to Jesus, that today you will be set free by the truth of God's Word today. I pray that you will not only marvel at Him, but that you will come to make all of life about Him. See, there will always be critics of Jesus, and there will always be critics of those who follow Jesus. If you don't have any critics for following Jesus, that means that you aren't living for Him very closely. Because if you live for Jesus, people are going to criticize you. You're going to have critics, just like Jesus has critics. Just as He was rejected, you're going to be rejected by the world. But rejection of Jesus is senseless. Finally this morning... Rejecting Jesus is ignorant. Now, I'm not saying that. Look at, look at what Jesus says in verses 18 to 27. See, the Sadducees were running out of ammunition. They, they didn't have much in their artillery belt left. And so they turned their argument to a familiar law of Moses. From Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. Now, the purpose of this law was to preserve an inheritance for every Jewish family. And so the Sadducees take this law that God gave to protect the inheritance for every family in Israel and pulled it totally out of context. Look at how they used it in verse 18. The Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Now that's important. 
They don't believe in a resurrection, but they're using an example about resurrection. That's weird, isn't it? That's the low degree that people will stoop to to give a reason for not following Jesus. They ask him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, which the Sadducees didn't believe in anyway, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, In it is, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses? In the passage about the bush, how God spoke to them saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Rejecting Jesus is ignorant. You're quite wrong. These religious leaders tried to twist this law and trap Jesus. They dip so low to try to use Scripture out of context. Now, there are a couple of warnings here for you and me today. First of all, never use Scripture to cover up ungodly behavior. It didn't work for the Sadducees and it won't work for you and me today. Give you a couple examples of that. Uh, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The, the purpose behind that law was for human beings to remain healthy in their relationship to God and their relationship physically. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day had made some ridiculous laws. If you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see lights all the way strung all the way around the old city because you can't travel but so far during a day, and so they put lights around it so there would be an interpretation that as long as you were in those lights, you could walk as much as you want to. I mean, ridiculous kinds of laws like that. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is so true. But some people use that to say, I can live any way I want to, and God's going to forgive me. In Romans chapter 6, Paul said, God forbid that you would take Scripture and bend it out of its context to make it mean something so ridiculous, so stupid. Don't take Scripture out of context. But we even need to be careful, too, about using Scripture to try to trap someone. That's not the purpose of Scripture, to try to trap people. 
Scriptures are best used for personal nourishment, for building ourselves up in the, the faith, for maturing ourselves in the faith, and then sharing our faith with one or two other people in personal discipleship. That's what scriptures are made for. Not to try to trap somebody into the corner. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why we have scripture. It's to keep ourselves spiritually and personally healthy in our relationship with God and in our discipleship with other people. Jesus said, you are quite wrong. He revealed the ignorance of the religious leaders of his day. They were wrong in their motives. They were wrong in their attitude. They were wrong in their understanding of Scripture. They were even wrong in their relationship with God. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? There's no reason for you and me to go through life powerless. So the answer from Jesus opens the door for us to discuss mankind's oldest question. And I close with this today. If a man dies, shall he live again? Life is forever. Jesus clearly stated that. To miss this is to be quite wrong. And to be quite wrong is ignorant. So rejecting Jesus for any reason at all is ignorant. Now we all today should have special interest in the resurrection. It's real. Jesus arose from the dead after being in the tomb for three days. So that you and I would not have fear over death. So that you and I would know that the resurrection is real and it's coming. And Jesus lived that out to perfection. So how can we apply these truths to our life today? Four simple thoughts. Number one, rejecting Jesus for material gain is a big mistake. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we give to God what is God's. This is important. There's no excuse for cheating on taxes. Or there's no excuse from robbing God from tithes and offerings. First 10% of everything we earn belongs to God to be delivered through His storehouse today, the church. So don't fall into the trap of rejecting Jesus to hang on to your material goods. Secondly, rejecting Jesus for power is a big mistake. The biggest excuse for not following Jesus today is a person doesn't want to give up control of their life. The common value in our culture today is a control issue. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And that's an issue of power, and it's a big mistake. Thirdly, rejecting Jesus for other religions is a big mistake. 
And the list of other religions now is much bigger than the one we studied in our bridge guide this past week, our small group study guide from Isaiah 56 and 57. The God of comfort, the God of sports, the God of recreation, the God of work. I mean, we have all kinds of gods. So rejecting Jesus for other religions is a big mistake. And ultimately, as I said before, fourthly, rejecting Jesus for any reason is a big mistake. I challenge you today, if Jesus is calling you, if you're like me and he's convicted your heart today about some of these issues, agree with him. Please don't reject him. He's calling you to salvation today. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. Pray a prayer like this. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I know my sin is separating me from You. I confess my sin and repent of it, and I want to give my life to You, and I want the rest of my life to be all about You. God, how I pray today that as Your Spirit moves in this place, that there will be many who will question ourselves and our own motives instead of questioning you and your truth. God, I pray that you would move many people to get on fire for you today and take all of the tragedy and the idiotic action that's taking place in our country and in our world and turn it into an opportunity to let our light shine for Jesus. God, that's my prayer. As we continue to worship you now, in Jesus' name, we make all of life about you. Let's stand together and continue to worship. <laughs>